0: Sophie's World by Jostein Gardner Aristotle A meticulous organizer who wanted to clarify our concepts. While her mother was taking her afternoon nap, Sophie went down to the den. She had put a lump of sugar in the pink envelope and written, To Alberto, on the outside. There was no new letter, but after a few minutes, Sophie heard the dog approaching. Hermes, she called, and the next moment he had pushed his way into the den with a big brown envelope in his mouth. Good boy. Sophie put her arms around the dog, which was snorting and snuffling like a walrus. She took the pink envelope with the lump of sugar and put it in the dog's mouth. He crawled through the hedge and made off into the woods again. Sophie opened the big envelope apprehensively, wondering whether it would contain anything but about the cabin and the boat. It contained the usual typed pages held together with a paperclip. But there was also a loose page inside. On it was written, Dear Miss Sleuth, or to be exact, Miss Burglar, the case has already been handed over to the police. Not really. No, I'm not angry. If you were just as curious when it comes to discovering answers to the riddles of philosophy, I'd say your adventure was very promising. It's just a little annoying that I'll have to move now. Still, I have no one to blame but myself, I suppose. I might have known you were a person who would always want to get to the bottom of things. Greetings, Alberto. Sophie was relieved. Sophie was not angry after all. But why would he have to move? She took the papers and ran up to her room. It would be prudent to be in the house when her mother woke up. Lying comfortably on her bed, she began to read about Aristotle. Philosopher and Scientist Dear Sophie, You are probably astonished by Plato's theory of ideas. You are not the only one. I did not know whether you swallowed the whole thing, hook, line, and sinker, or whether you had any critical comments. But if you did have... You can be sure that the self-same criticism was raised by Aristotle 385-322 BC, who was a pupil of Plato's Academy for almost 20 years. Aristotle was not a native of Athens. He was born in Macedonia and came to Plato's Academy when Plato was 61. Aristotle's father was a respected physician, and, therefore, a scientist. This background already tells us something about Aristotle's philosophic project. What he was most interested in was nature study. He was not only the last of the great Greek philosophers, he was Europe's first great biologist. Taking it to extremes, we could say that Plato was so engrossed in his eternal forms or ideas that he took very little notice of the changes in nature. Aristotle, on the other hand, was preoccupied with just these changes, or what we nowadays describe as natural processes. To exaggerate even more, We could say that Plato turned his back on the sensory world and shut his eyes to everything we see around us. He wanted to escape from the cave and look out over the eternal world of ideas. Aristotle did the opposite. He got down on all fours and studied frogs and fish, anemones and poppies. While Plato used his reason, Aristotle used his senses as well. We find decisive differences between the two not least in their writing. Plato was a poet and mythologicalist. Aristotle's writings were as dry and precise as an encyclopedia. On the other hand, much of what he wrote was based on up-to-the-minute field studies. Records from antiquity refer to 170 titles supposedly written by Aristotle. Of these, 47 are preserved. These are not complete books, they consist largely of lecture notes. In his time, philosophy was still mainly an oral activity. The significance of Aristotle in European culture is due not least to the fact that he created the terminology that science used today. He was a great organizer who founded and classified the various sciences. Since Aristotle wrote on all the sciences, I will limit myself to some of the most important areas. Now that I have told you such a lot about Plato, you must start by hearing how Aristotle refuted Plato's theory of ideas. Later, we will look at the way he formulated his own natural philosophy, since it was Aristotle who summed up what the natural philosophers before him had said. We'll see how he categorizes our concepts and founds the discipline of logic, of science. And finally, I'll tell you a little about Aristotle's view of man and society. No innate ideas. Like the philosophers before him, Plato wanted to find the eternal and immutable in the midst of changes. So he found the perfect ideas that were superior to the sensory world. Plato, furthermore, held that ideas were more real than the ph- phenomena of nature. First came the idea of horse. Then came all the sensory world's horses trotting along like shadows on a wall. The idea of chicken came before both the chicken and the egg. Aristotle thought Plato had turned the whole thing upside down. He agreed with his teacher that the particular horse flows and that no horse lives forever. He also agreed that the actual form of the horse is eternal and immutable. Though the idea horse was simply a concept we humans had formed after seeing a certain number of horses. The idea or form horse thus had no existence of its own. To Aristotle, the idea or the form horse was made up of the horse's characteristics, which define what we call the horse's species. To be more precise, by form horse, Aristotle meant that which is common to all horses. And here the metaphor of the gingerbread mold does not hold up because the mold exists independently of the particular gingerbread cookies. Aristotle did not believe in the existence of any such molds or forms that, as it were, lay on their own shelf beyond the natural world. On the contrary to Aristotle, the forms were in the things, because they were the particular characteristics of these things. So Aristotle disagreed with Plato that the idea chicken came before the chicken. What Aristotle called the form chicken is present in every single chicken as a chicken's particular set of characteristics, for one, that it lays eggs. The real chicken and the form chicken are thus just as inseparable as body and soul. And that is really the essence of Aristotle's criticism of Plato's theory of ideas. But you should not ignore the fact that this was a dramatic turn of thought. The highest degree of reality in Plato's theory was that which we think with our reason. It was equally apparent to Aristotle that the highest degree of reality is that which we perceive, which are senses. Plato thought that all the things we see in the natural world were purely reflections of things that existed in the higher reality of the world of ideas and thereby in the human soul. Aristotle thought the opposite. Things that are in the human soul were purely reflections of natural objects. So nature is the real world. According to Aristotle, Plato was trapped in a mythical world picture in which human imagination was confused with the real world. Aristotle pointed out that nothing exists in consciousness that has not been first experienced by the senses. Plato would have said that there is nothing in the natural world that has first not existed in the world of ideas. Aristotle held that Plato was thus doubling the number of things. He explained a horse by referring to the idea horse. But what kind of explanation is that, Sophie? Where does the idea horse come from, is my question. Might there not even be a third horse, which is the idea horse is just an imitation of? Aristotle held that all our thoughts and ideas have come into our consciousness through what we have heard and seen. But we also have the innate power of reason. We have no innate ideas, as Plato held but we have the innate faculty of organizing all sensory impressions into categories and classes. This is how concepts such as stone, plant, animal, and human arise. Similarly, there arise concepts like horse, lobster, and canary. Aristotle did not deny that humans have innate reason. On the contrary, it is precisely reason reason. According to Aristotle, that is man's most distinguishing characteristic. But our reason is completely empty until we have sensed something. So man has no innate ideas. The form of a thing its is its specific characteristics. Having come to turn with Plato's theory of ideas... Aristotle decided that reality consisted of various separate things that constitute a unity of form and substance. The substance is what things are made of, while the form is each thing's specific characteristics. A chicken is fluttering about you in front of you, Sophie. The chicken's form is precisely that it flutters and that it cackles and lays eggs. So by the form of the chicken, we mean the specific characteristics of its species, or in other words, what it does. When the chicken dies and cackles no more, its form ceases to exist. The only thing that remains is the chicken substance, sadly enough, Sophie. But then, it is no longer a chicken. As I said earlier, Aristotle was concerned with a change in nature. Substance always contains the potentiality to realize a specific form. We could say that substance always strives towards achieving an, an innate potentiality. Every change in nature, according to Aristotle, is a transformation of substance from the potential to the actual. Yes, I'll explain what I mean, Sophie. See if this funny story helps you. A sculptor is working on a large block of granite. He hacks away at the formless block every day. One day, a little boy comes by and says, What are you looking for? Wait and see, answers the sculptor. Sculptor. After a few days, the little boy comes back. And now the sculptor has carved a beautiful horse out of the granite. The boy stares at in amazement, and he turns to the sculptor and say, "How did you know it was in there? How indeed, In a sense, the sculptor had seen the horse's form in his block of granite because that particular block of granite had the potentiality to be formed into the shape of a horse. Similarly, Aristotle believed that everything in nature has the potentiality of realizing, or achieving, a specific form. Let us return to the chicken and the egg. A chicken's egg has the potentiality to become a chicken. This does not mean that all chickens' eggs become chickens. Many of them end up on the breakfast table as fried eggs, omelets, or scrambled eggs without ever having realized their potentiality. But it is equally oblivious that a chicken's egg cannot become a goose. That potentiality is not within a chicken's egg. The form of a thing, then, says something about its limitation as well as its potentiality. When Aristotle talks about the substance and form of things, he does not only refer to the living organisms. Just as just it is the chicken's form to cackle, flutter its wings, and lay eggs, it is the form of the stone to fall to the ground. Just as the chicken cannot help cackling, the stone cannot help falling to the ground. You can, of course, lift a stone and hurl it high into the air, but because it is a stone's nature to fall to the ground, you cannot hurl it at it to the moon. Take care when you perform this experiment, because the stone might take revenge and find the shortest way back to earth.